You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Good morning. Um, my name is Lucas Cruz, and I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. If you'll join me and open your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the, under the seat in front of you. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Lucas. Um, Good morning, friends. Good to see y'all. My kids told me this morning and have told me for a while that I need to smile more. So this is me smiling. Good to see you. When I was in seminary, I had the best job ever. I lucked into it. I worked for the Dallas Cowboys, worked on the field uh, for game days. And before they, the players and the coaches had the tablets to look at, they had these prints that they would see the plays and I lucked into a job and got to be there and to staple the plays and give them to the players. And it was a crazy cool job. Did it for five years, lived vicariously through them and saw a bunch of crazy fun stuff. And uh, one of my biggest memories of working for the Cowboys was leaving. It was a Sunday night game and uh, I was on the elevator and there were a couple players in the elevator and uh, a guy walks in. And he goes, hey, VIP coming through, y'all need to get off, which for me, of course, is code to get off the elevator. But a couple of the players were like, well, I'm not getting off the elevator. And I was just like, well, I'm not getting off the elevator either, right? So I'll just stay there. And uh, in walked LeBron James. And uh, he's a Cowboys fan, LeBron James, NBA megastar, if you don't know who he is. And uh, he was with a crew of people. He said, no big deal, let's go. And so I had uh, what amounted to about a 20-second elevator ride with LeBron James, which was fascinating for a few reasons. Um, One, uh, I was able to see just as a basketball fan, I'd only watched him on TV or, you know, from, uh, you know, the the American Airlines Center. And so I was able to kind of reconcile how fast he is on the court with how big he is in person, because he's every bit of 6'9", and at the time, 265, and it was crazy because the dude is as graceful as a, as a, as a gazelle. Like, and so anyway, so it's not the point of the sermon, uh, but you know, I was standing in the elevator with LeBron James. And so as he left, I was like, well, I, I need to do something. And so I don't know why I did, but as he walked out, I just felt the need to like touch him. <laughs> and so I, I did, I reached out my hand and I think I touched his ab And, uh, you know, he didn't acknowledge it or anything. He just left. But, you know, in hindsight, I think it was actually a theological inquiry because I think I was trying to get a picture of what my resurrection body will be like, you know? I just wanted a little foretaste of it, right? So what's my point? It's the point of my strange interaction with LeBron James. Um, It's this, that uh, strange and unexpected encounters can often change us for the better. That's the point I'm trying to make. And Shay set us up really well last week in Genesis 14 and kind of teed me up for this moment because what I get to talk about 
is Melchizedek and how he specifically, this strange kind of unknown guy, steps into Abram's life and changes him forever. And that's what I get to spend the entire time talking about today. And I think what we'll see is that Melchizedek's vision or his visit to Abraham gives Abraham clarity and shape to his faith. And I think if we dig into what's happening, it gives us clarity and shape to our faith as well. So let's talk about Big Mel. Okay, let me give some backstory. Um, This is a quick summary of Shay last week. Okay, so the gist of chapter 14 is uh, Keto Leomar, who I think I said that right, who Shay nicknamed Big Cheddar, is the big dog of the area, of the ancient Near East. He is a big dog. And he and his four kings attack five kings, including Sodom and Gomorrah, and they win. So the four kings win, Big Cheddar wins, five king loses. And Big Cheddar, as part of the spoils of victory, steals the women, the children, the cattle, the loot, kills the dudes, and boasts like like an ancient Near East king would. Um, So Abraham catches wind of this, realizes that his nephew Lot is part of those spoils. And so he teams up with three brothers in the area and together with 318 other guys, they surprise attack Big Cheddar and they win and they defeat them. And it's a bit miraculous. And so on the other side of that, King Sodom, who is one of the original losers, comes to Abraham and wants to deal. And he says in verse 21, basically, I want to deal, right? I kind of want my stuff back. So here's how we're going to negotiate. You give me the people that you have that belong to me or are associated with me, and then you keep the goods for yourself. So he's very much negotiating. Big Cheddar saying, you won. I get it. You can have my stuff and we'll be cool. So you kind of see, you dig into the heart of one king's plea. This is the king of Sodom. He says, take your victory and trust yourself. Trust in me. This is the way things go. This is a business negotiation. This is a lot of what a lot of you do Monday through Friday through all hours of the day. And that's what Sodom, the king of Sodom, is doing with Abraham. Transactionally, let's make a deal. You won. Let's move on. And then out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, this mysterious figure emerges. Another king emerges, and it is absolutely the point of the author of Genesis to put these two kings, the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, right next to each other. So let's jump into the text and see what the other king has to say, starting in verse 18. In Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. Okay, I've already told you Melchizedek is a little bit strange, okay? He is very much a Gandalf figure, if you will. You don't really know a lot about him, kind of shows up when he wants to and leaves whenever he wants. There are three passages in scripture that talk about Melchizedek. Three, literally three, that's it. This passage, Psalm 110 and Hebrews. There are two possibilities for who or what he is. The first possibility is that he's a man, an actual king, and thus a type of a king to come. 
More about that in a second. The other option is that he is a Christophany, which means he is an actual vision of a pre-incarnate Christ. People have debated for a long time about which one he is. I spent all week studying the scriptures. My best answer, I don't know. Really don't know. My lean, I think, if I'm betting, is that he's a dude, a man, just a man, but a type. We'll talk more about that here in a second. So there's two possibilities. He's either a type or he is a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, his name is wildly significant, Melchizedek. Okay, the first part of his name means King Melech. The second part of his name means righteousness. He is quite literally the king of righteousness. And he's also of Salem. He is from Salem, the root word from which we get the idea of shalom, the Hebrew understanding of, pre, of peace and prosperity. And so he is the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. And it is very likely, not 100% certain, that he's from Salem, which will later be known as Jerusalem. Okay, so he's the king of peace and the king of righteousness from Jerusalem, and this is a big deal. Okay, so let's talk about how Sodom and Big Mel approach Abraham, because this is fascinating. You're going to see a wordplay happening in the Hebrew. Their approaches are different. Okay, on King Sodom, it says that King Sodom came out. Again, this is transactional. This is business. He's come to deal. He wants to have a conversation, get what he came for, and leave and likely not give up anything more than he, than, than he wants to give up. But Melchizedek is different. Melchizedek doesn't come out. Melchizedek, Melchizedek brings out. There's the difference. So the king of Sodom came out and said, let's deal. Big Mel brought out food and said, let's eat. And so if you want the side-by-side -side comparison, think about the difference between somebody who knocks on your door trying to sell you a internet security bundle and wants to deal with you at your house, as opposed to one of your friends calling you and saying, hey, the game starts at six and I'm gonna pick up you for telly and I'll be there right beforehand. One is trying to do a deal. The other one is trying to hang out and enjoy your company. And that's the two approaches of the kings. And this is where it gets even more fascinating because he is not only a king, he is a priest of God most high. You say, why is this strange? What is immediately strange is that he presents himself both as a king and a priest. If you know anything about the law of God given to Moses, it is absolutely settled that the king and the priest, albeit as significant their roles are, will come from different lines from different tribes. The kings will distinctly come from Judah. The priest from Aaron will come distinctly come from Levi and thus be called Levites. The king, uh, the king's job, even though the king is, uh, there, are, there are myriad examples of fallen kings in Israel's history. The king's job, when it's done well, is to bring peace, prosperity, and welfare to the kingdom. The priest's job is to be the mediator between God and sinful people and to bring sacrifices therein. The priest represents God to the people and represents the people to God. And these are two absolutely distinct roles from different tribes. And yet we find out that this king priest, Melchizedek, is both a king and a priest, which is fascinating. Okay, 
All we know that he's different. That's all we know right now. Don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay. What else do we know? We know that as a Canaanite king, Melchizedek acknowledged the God of Abraham as the one true God. How do we know this? He uses the term all Elion. Abraham immediately understands what he means and links that in verse 22 when he says Yahweh, God most high. So what does that mean? It means both Abraham and Melchizedek are worshiping Yahweh together in a pagan land. They are worshipers of Yahweh as sojourners in a pagan land. What do we know about Melchizedek so far? That he comes with a blessing from God. He has picked up bread and wine at Italy for Abraham and his tired soldiers. And he has come to bless this sojourner. Okay, let's read 19. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. I was thinking about what it means to experience a blessing. And I think some things are better explained definitionally. Some things are better explained experientially. And so I went back into my life and remembered a story about a guy named Todd, who was my youth pastor, generic youth pastor named Todd. I know, but he was very much a wonderful youth pastor. And uh, this is the late 90s, and Todd was very instrumental leading me to Christ. And then he finds out, as some uh, do in high school, that one of his uh, little students, his young Christians, Matt Younger, had just been broken up with by his first high school love, and that Matt was way down in the dumps, and that he was lamenting with Trisha Yearwood, how, how can I live without you, right? How in the world can I ever live without my high school girlfriend? And so I was a little sad about it, right? And um, so Todd pulls me aside after a Wednesday. He's no, he knows I'm not okay. And uh, he goes, hey man, let's just hang out afterwards and let's go to Sonic. And uh, so we jumped in his Ford Explorer and uh, this is before you, know, you use cards or Apple Pay for everything. So remember, he pulls out his wallet, he pulls out like five bucks. He's like, hey, dude, this is all I have. And uh, so let's get a meal and let's talk. And uh, over mozzarella sticks and a Dr. Pepper, I think, would have been my go-to. Still my go-to. Who am I kidding? Um, I, uh, I sat there with him and um, he blessed me. Yeah, he blessed me. And what he said to me is, um, everything's going to be okay. This isn't the end of your life. You need to lift up your head. God loves you. Your best days are ahead. You're going to get better through this. You're going to be strong in this. There's another gal that's going to come around. He said, in fact, there are probably two or three more before you settle, which was actually prophetic. That's exactly how it went, but that's another conversation. And uh, he said, God loves you. I love you. God's smile is on your life. Lift up your head, stop moping. There's grace behind you and there's grace ahead. And I love you. Look at me. I love you. Everything's going to be okay. And he blessed me. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget spending time with my youth minister over Sonic 
you know, his version of bread and wine, mozzarella sticks and a Dr. Pepper. And he blessed me. It's interesting for us as uh, low church people. What do I mean by that? Okay, let me talk a little bit of history really quick. So Protestant Reformation, we're Protestants, right? If you follow our history, we protested the Roman Catholic Church. One of the reasons that Luther protests the church is because he believes that they put a, um, an inordinate burden or they put entirely too much emphasis on the role of the priest, And so what Luther said is, no, everybody's a priest. Read Romans, read Galatians, read the Bible. All of us have access to God. And so the Catholic tradition very much elevated and to some degree still elevates the role of the priest to represent the people, the masses to God. And what Luther said is you don't have to go through him, especially when that person is crooked. You can go immediately to God. And it was a beautiful charitable critique of the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a vision that we still stand in that all of us have access to God, which is an important thing. But I can tell you in our low church tradition, something that gets lost in that is that I don't look very different from you guys, right? I'm, I'm in like a patchwork Tacova's catalog outfit up here. And uh, we are kind of mo- more kind of the same than we are different. And maybe you see me and you go, hey, that's Pastor Matt. But there's not a lot of distinction in the way that I look like there might be for those of us that grew up Catholic, like I did, or Anglican or even Presbyterian, that there's a distinction in the priest. And I think that matters because Abraham absolutely saw and felt the distinction with Big Mel. Like there's no doubt about it, that he realized and saw that he was approaching a man who represented God to him and who represented him to God. And there was a sacredness and a distinction about his time. His time with him was not ordinary. It was extraordinary. And what he received from him was significant. And it's important for us to see what Melchizedek said to Abraham. And he says this, he says, may you be blessed, Abraham, by the one God we worship who possesses all of heaven and earth. And if Abraham with Big Mel felt anything like I did with Todd Gaston in the late 90s, then he felt seen, honored, and dignified as if the promises of God were being directly channeled and poured into his soul. And then Abraham's gonna turn it and he's gonna say, and may we bless him. He's gonna say, hey, Abraham, what happened with Big Cheddar and us winning that little battle, that wasn't your tactical genius. No, what happened is that the God most high who loves you, he delivered you from your enemies. And so don't you see that Yahweh is the storyteller, the architect? Don't you see that he's the narrator? Don't you see that he holds the pen in his hand? Don't you see it? Don't you see it? And then you you dig in it, like what's actually happening? Abraham's sitting in the victory of a battle that God won for him. He's sitting down with this priest king, this king of peace and this king of righteousness. And he's asking himself, he has to be asking himself, can God really be this good? Can God really be this kind? And Melchizedek comes to Abraham to bless him and to help him grow his faith so that they can bless God together to sit in the blessing of Yahweh's kindness to receive. And it still begs this monumental question, who in the world 
is this guy? Okay, let's turn to Psalm 110. I'm going to live in Psalm 110 for a minute, then I'm going to summarize Hebrews. Psalm 110. This is a messianic psalm. This is a vision that David has in the spirit of the Messiah to come. That is settled. It is settled science. Jesus refers to this in Mark 12. David is not talking about himself. He is talking about the Messiah to come. Psalm 110, most oft-quoted psalm in the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 1 and verse 4. Okay, the Lord, um, just right there, the Lord, anytime you see Lord in capital letters, that's always Yahweh. That's his personal personal name. So this is Yahweh talking to Adonai, talking to talking to Jesus. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What we are to understand about this along with several other passages and prophecies is that the coming king, the messianic king will be of David's line and he will be a king. Numbers 22 will solidify that. Nobody really has a lot of questions about the coming Messiah being a king. That's not the confounding part. The confusing part, the confounding part is verse four. And then he says this, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Okay. So David sees a vision of the Messiah, the Lord King in verse one, but this Lord King is forever a priest, verse four, after the order of Melchizedek. The King, the one who will bring peace and prosperity and welfare to the nation, the priest who will mediate between a holy God and an unholy people and offer sacrifices therein will be tied up together in the messianic king who is to come. And David has to be seeing both, has to be seeing both going, what in the world are we talking about here? Then we get into Hebrews. Okay. The whole point of the book of Hebrews, and I'm just going to summarize it for you, and then I'm going to refer you to Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7 for a deep dive. Because if I do that deep dive now, I think we'll be out for like, or the Grammys tonight, maybe for the Grammys to start, right? So let me just give you a good summary of what's happening in Hebrews, okay? This is the upshot. The point of Hebrews is... The author who we don't know is writing to young Christians who are being increasingly tempted to fall back into Judaism and to embrace what Judaism was ultimately about, like the practices, the regulations of Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews is writing them going, everything that you see in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing, is a type of the new covenant to come that we see squarely in the life of Christ. So the temple, the sacrifices, everything else, let me show you how that makes Jesus real. The Hebrews is a book that you literally put on top of your Old Testament to explain it. And so this is what the author of Hebrews is going to say. Okay, do y'all remember big Abraham? Remember how everything starts with the promises made to him? Yes, that's great. Okay, Abraham actually had an experience, an experience with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek 
blessed him and Abraham tithed to him. And in tithing to him, Abraham acknowledged him as superior. And so 750 years later, you have the law of Moses established that's going to, like we said, say kings are going to come from Judah, priests are going to come from Levites. But here's the thing. All of those, those kings, those would-be kings, those would-be priests were tied up in the loins, literally the loins of Abraham. And Abraham received the blessing from Melchizedek. Therefore, Melchizedek's blessing is superior. And Abraham even sees himself, the great hero of our faith, as inferior to Melchizedek. Abraham sees himself that way, which means this. If you are tied up on the idea that the king has to come from Judah and the priest has to come from uh, the tribe of Levi and be a Levite, then you're actually recognizing that those were just a temporary form and shadow of a covenant that had yet to be revealed. So you see what's happening. The Messiah from Judah cannot be a priest from Levi, okay, which is true. Therefore, this is the whole point of Hebrews, there must be a priest that comes from a different line. A a king from Judah who comes from a different line, a line that predates everything. Yes, exactly. Jesus is the priest in the line of Big Mel who operates what the author of Hebrews will say is an eternal covenant. He has no genealogy. Therefore, he intercedes as Melchizedek did as a type, as a priest forever. And because Jesus is not a Levite and still a priest, the law requirements are going to have to be seen differently. And here, my theological friends, is the major upshot. Here's the point. A better law, a better priest, a better covenant has now emerged. Big Mel is a type of priest to come, but there has to now be a new way of approaching God. And the new way in which we approach God will not be through a fallen man, but a son of God, not one who is weak, but one who is perfect, not one who is temporary, but one who lives forever, who is the guarantor of a better covenant. That is the point that the author of Hebrews is going to make in explaining what Melchizedek, who he actually was. So what in the world does this mean for us? Okay, going back to Genesis, whoever Mel is, He's showing Abraham and he's showing us about our relationship with God. Nothing short of how we approach God. Because remember guys, the king of Sodom came to deal. He came to deal. Like keep the spoils of your success. He said, it's yours. I want it to be mine, but it's yours. Trust in yourself and trust in me and let's form some kind of pact, some kind of alliance, but let's deal and let's negotiate and let's get out of here and both of us feel okay about it. And so what does Abraham ultimately do? This is a huge question. How does Abraham respond? Look at verse 22 in chapter 14. How does Abram respond to Sodom's, Sodom's approach? And the king of, uh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord Yahweh, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. That's the exact language that Big Mel used. That I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. 
I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshol, and Mamre take their share. Do you see what Abraham does? He says, I'm not taking your deal. I'm sick of trusting in myself and I'm sick of, I'm sick of trusting in other people. So something has to be happening in this dude's life. What moved him? Why the increase of his faith? I can tell you what happened. He sat with the king of peace and the king of righteousness, the priest of God most high. He sat with him and and he was blessed by him and it changed his life. And this priest said, let's have a meal together and let's put our faith in God in this crazy place. It is beyond question that just like me with Todd Gaston, that his soul was touched by his interaction with Big Mill. The same Abraham who not long ago was scheming to avoid Pharaoh's wrath now sits with this priest and his soul is strengthened. And he's seeing this narrative of redemption unfold. He's going, I'm here because of Yahweh. The victory with the 318 men was because of Yahweh. I'm still standing because of Yahweh. I'm his, he has me. Everything's gonna be okay. Melchizedek has to be meditating on this grace that that, uh, sorry, Abraham has to be meditating on this grace and settling a, a kind of poise as his faith is rising. And what does he do? He tithes and he's a super rich dude. And I'm not even gonna make this about money because he gives 10% of it. He get, here's a portion and a tithe is only a response, a meaningful response from a proper heart that says a huge, um, inordinate, infinite grace gift has been given to me. And so I'm going to respond with a portion of what I have, but he's a rich dude and he blesses Mel with 10% of what he has, which is significant. And we bless God with far more than our money. We bless him with our time, our energy, our thoughts, our affections. That's why Paul will say in Romans 12 to offer our, our lives as a living sacrifice to God. And he's a rich dude. And he says, in light of the grace that you've given me, here is a portion of what I have but you have to get underneath that. His heart is being settled in grace. He says, I don't have to keep trying. I don't have to keep scheming. God loves me. And this priest who represents Yahweh has blessed me with his presence and everything is gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. And what in the world does this have to do for us however many thousands of years later in 2023 sitting in this church? What does it mean for us? It means for us that Jesus, the great hero of our faith, is the true and better Melchizedek. He's the king, the king of the universe, who equally wants to sit down with us and have a meal and say, trust my father and let me bless you. Your life is in his hands and we will lead you well. But he's not just the priest that owns your macro, sorry, he's not just the king that owns your macro, your macro story. He's the priest who wants to enter in in the most personal way and say, let's have a meal together because I know what it's like to be human. I know how hard it is. I know how real the temptations are. And listen, I've cleared every hurdle for you to have the blessing of my father because I sacrificed my life for you. And where Melchizedek came bringing bread and wine, Jesus becomes bread and wine for us. He becomes the sacrifice. And he offers himself as a priest of God to enter in. Here's the upshot. Here's the takeaway for you this week. Guys, we don't have to take Sodom's offer. We really don't have to take Sodom's offer because Sodom's offer is ultimately an offer of sufficiency. 
It's either faith in yourself or faith in someone else or faith in something else. And here's the reality there. You want to get underneath that? You are only going to be as strong as you or others make you feel. Good luck with Sodom's offer. It's just going to be enough for you to want to feel it again. No, the priest King Jesus waits for us and says, I'm ready to eat. Let me bless you. Have a meal with me. Receive my eternal blessing. I'm the king that oversees the galaxies and I am the priest who can deal, who can heal the deepest and most personal wounds that you have. He's the king priest who longs to have a meal with us. Receive from him, guys. Receive from him. It's on the table. Like this meal whether you've been walking with him for as long as you can remember, or this is brand new, or you feel especially wayward, you're not dealing with the king of Sodom. You're not dealing with a God who transactionally is trying to get things right. You're dealing with a God who's laid out a table and said, I own all of the future and I can heal the deepest and most personal and most in, the, the most intimate wounds on your soul. And come have a meal with me. And let me bless you. I had 20 seconds with LeBron James. That was kind of cool. Sudden and unexpected. Abraham had however long he had with Melchizedek. We have a priest and a king who has offered that meal for us literally through the end of the age. That's a promise to receive. Receive the blessing of the king of righteousness and the king of peace who has come to share a meal and to bless us and to tell us that he owns our future because he owns the galaxies and he owns the most personal and intimate part of our lives. And he intends to bless us in that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the clarity of your word. Thank you that even in what we get to do now, it's a picture that in this bread and in this cup, we remember you and we remember your grace poured out to us. And we, uh, I pray God that in taking the bread and the cup, we, we, we are able to visualize you, Jesus, here among us like you did with your disciples and that we would receive the blessing of your life, the God who loves us, the God who has made a way. And so may we receive that blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.